Well, good morning, all. You know, when uh, Amadi and Jeff uh, came and said, hey, we should do a softball game, uh, church versus church, but just, you know, it's going to be uh, fun and, you know, nobody's going to win. It's just going to be a good time. I, I actually believed it. <laughs> and then Alex fired first shot and said that we need to be gracious losers. So all of the fun stuff is now out the window. We are I'm calling everybody. We're practicing every day this week for you guys. So, so bring it on. You know, I think it might, it might be a little bit more interesting if uh, the losing church's senior pastor has to shave their whole face and head. As long as it doesn't affect me, I'm good for uh, a good wager like that. <laughs> well, it is, uh, it is great to be with you uh, here this morning. Um, and uh, I, just, I just love talking about Jesus, and we're going to do a lot, about, a lot of that today. Hopefully you don't mind. Uh, you've been going this summer through uh, kind of the, the Paul tour, right? You've gone through uh, the book of uh, Ephesians, and you saw in there that uh, the mystery of Christ and his church. You went through Philippians that just uh, finished last week, right? You saw there that uh, you talked about the joy which Christ brings. And now we're starting uh, in Colossians. I'm going to be uh, starting here this week at Colossians 1. Jeff will then, Pastor Jeff will pick it up next week at Colossians 2. And, and Colossians is all about the absolute uh, supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the head of the church and all of creation. And uh, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about uh, the most important, significant person in the history of the world. Uh, he never held a political office. Uh, he never uh, authored a book. Uh, he wasn't a rich man, uh, but he is the most influential, significant person in the history of the world. Uh, nobody even comes close. And this, by the way, is something believed uh, by even atheists, people who don't believe in God. That Jesus is the most significant person in the history of the world. We actually divide our calendars, right, by Jesus, right? Uh, Zeros is his birth. And then you have BC, which is before him, AD, which is after him. Uh, we divide our calendar by him. The major history, or the, the major holidays in our calendar, right? Uh, Christmas, happy birthday, Jesus. Easter, uh, welcome back, Jesus, his resurrection, right? It's all centered around uh, Jesus. This guy's pretty significant. And one thing that's interesting is that every major religion in, uh, in, our, in our world accounts for Jesus in some way. Every major religion accounts for Jesus in some way. And so when it comes to Jesus, he has this important question. Knowing that is a setup of he's pretty, he's pretty important, right? He has a setup where, where uh, he asks us a question, who do you say I am? We see this in Matthew where uh, he's talking with his disciples. He's, he's uh, conversing with, Paul, uh, with, with Peter. Peter kind of, kind of speaks up for the, the crowd a little bit too often sometimes. And uh, Peter uh, tells him about what's going on. He's like, I'm hearing this being said about you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, but who do you say I am? And so church this morning, I want to start with that question uh, for you guys. We have an open mic. Come on up here if you want to answer it. Uh, who do you say Jesus is to you? Not Sunday school answers, not, not trying to get the answer right, but who is Jesus to you? See, there are no, no, shortages, uh, no shortage of answers around uh, the world. If you ask a Mormon friend, you will say that uh, he's a polygamist, uh, half-brother of Lucifer, Lucifer, that he's ultimately a man who became God, and we can become gods like him, and, and we can even have our own planet. Pretty cool. I'll buy into that. It's true. If, you're, uh, uh, if you ask a 
um, uh, Christian scientists, uh, uh, which is you know interesting because there's no Christians there and no science there. But uh, if you ask one of them, their their founder says that uh, that Jesus was not God. If you ask a Muslim friend, they'll say that he was a prophet, that he was an enlightened man, but ultimately, uh, Muhammad was far superior. If you ask someone who is uh, in uh, the Baha'i faith, they will say that he was an enlightened man, but he wasn't God. Much the same with Hindu friends and and Buddha. They they believe uh, Buddha was more of an influence. Everybody accounts for him. Everyone has an opinion, but the question that we're answering is, who is Jesus? And you're going to hear today uh, from a guy named Paul that you've been studying over the summer with the the last two books that you've studied. And uh, we're going to be in Colossians 1. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up there. Um, Pastor Jeff asked me to cover Colossians 1 in 30 minutes. It's impossible. So I'm going to focus in on 15 through 23. Uh, It's one of the most richly, uh, densely packed sections of the entire Bible. It is full-on awesome, right? You You have eight verses that are just incredible that tell us everything that we need to know about the most famous man in the history of the world. Are you ready for that setup? All right. With that, let's read uh, this, this scripture. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the church, or he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Will you pray with me real quick? Father God, we ask that you would be uh, just completely present here today. We acknowledge your presence here, and uh, we ask, Lord, that you would kind of invade our hearts. Would you open our ears, soften our hearts, help us to just uh, uh, see your scripture this morning for what it is, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you want to know about Jesus? You start with these eight verses, right? They are so, like I said, just packed and to tell us about Jesus. Anybody here see the movie Top Gun, the the new one that just came out? Uh, I'm a little late. I went and saw it uh, the other night. And uh, if you haven't, man, I don't know if it's a guy thing or a man thing or what, but I walked out of that movie and I was like charged up, like, yeah, let's go. Like if, if they had signups for the Air Force or the Navy, I would be there, right? Forget my age and the fact that I'm not in the best shape that I was, but I will sign up right now. Send me to Afghanistan, wherever I need to go, I am in, right? That movie just fired me up. It was awesome. If you haven't seen it, go today. It's great. But I feel that way when I read this uh, particular uh, passage uh, in Colossians, because I'm a Jesus guy, I love Jesus, and when you read about these eight verses, man, they are awesome, and so I'm excited to dig in 
uh, and talk about them. So I'm just going to go verse by verse. There's, there's a couple of big truths about Jesus as I've, I've named it. Uh, and this first one that you'll see in uh, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. So that's the first thing that we get is that Jesus is the image of God. Great. What does that mean? We don't know who God is because we can't see him, right? Jesus makes the invisible God visible. God makes himself known through Jesus. The unknown God becomes the known through Jesus. The unseen God becomes seen through his son, Jesus. That's what he's saying here. John 14, verse 9 says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Right? We use language a lot like father like son or, or mini me. Uh, anybody here have kids who look like them or act just like them? Um, I, I, I drive a lot in traffic, and uh, I, I'm not afraid to admit bad drivers really annoy me. Um, now, I'm a good Christian guy, right? So I don't, uh, I don't yell or, or scream out the window or use hand gestures to tell them they're number one. I don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> but God gave me the gift of sarcasm, and so I talk to these people in a very sarcastic way in the comfort of my car. I don't make eye contact with them. Right? I'm confessing my heart this morning, by the way. This is... And so I'll do things like, you know, uh, as I'm driving, there's someone driving 50 miles an hour in the fast lane. Don't do that. So as I pass them, I'll say things like, hey, no problem. There's a slow lane for you, but you just stay right here in your fast lane, right? Or if someone cuts me off, I'll, I'll you know, uh, very calm and cool. I'll say, you know, I was saving those six inches between me and the car in front of me just for you. Welcome to my lane. <laughs> and apparently one time I said something about, to somebody about, you know, you must have taken an extra dose of stupid pills this morning. That, that's, I uh, know, I don't do that very often. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, uh, apparently uh, this has rubbed off to uh, my son, uh, one day, my wife went to go pick him up from preschool. I think he's five or so years old. Uh, he's actually here today, and I, we have a picture of him. But uh, went and picked him up. He's not that cute anymore. No. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. My, son, or my wife went to go pick up my son from preschool, and, and, and she knows the teacher pretty well. Um, and so they're friends outside the classroom and stuff. And she said, you know, I, I want to just show you what Kobe likes to play. He likes to take cars, and, and he drives them all around, and, and he, he talks to other cars, and he yells at them. And today he said something about a stupid pill. Do you know anything, anything about that? <laughs> I couldn't blame anybody else. I had to take that. Right? So Jesus is God's mini-me. Like father, like son. Jesus reflects God the Father. So his love is the Father's love. His truth, Jesus' truth, is the Father's truth. His forgiveness is the Father's forgiveness. When you see Jesus love and, and accept and forgive and give grace and mercy to people, that is the same characteristics of God his Father because he reflects him. And sometimes, you know, religious uh, people or people who connect spiritually, spiritually or philosophy majors, they like to go into nature to, to get connected with God, right? Like to look at the stars and the mountains and the beauty that nature provides and the, the ocean. That's what does it for me, man. Just being around the ocean is great. That, those are all good and well, but those are things that are, that are general revelation. Those things speak to God as, as someone who is great and, and mighty and holy, but to understand the character of God, to really know that the heart of God, you need to, re, you need to study who Jesus, because Jesus reflects who God is. The second thing we see as we, we continue on is that Jesus is a ruler over all creation. 
He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, when we hear this language, firstborn, right, sometimes we think about, uh, you know, whoever was the oldest in the family, right? Anybody here the oldest of the family? Uh, yeah, um, you guys had everything made for you. It was easy for you. The babies of the family, like me, we suffered through life. Yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> now, the way it works is that sometimes firstborn refers to people who were born for us, and they have uh, birthrights, and, and you see that in the Bible. But oftentimes, a firstborn can be someone like uh, in the military, right? If you, are, if you are someone with a first rank in the military, what does that mean? It means that you are, are in control, like you are superior over people. It's, it's, it's a position of leadership, and it doesn't mean that they were born first. It just meant that they are in position of leadership. So firstborn here is a designation of rank, and with that comes inheritance rights, it comes legal authority, it comes a position of prominence and preeminence, as the, as the Scripture says, and that's what we're referring to. And the implication here for Christians is that Jesus ought to come first in our relationships. He ought to, to be our first, our, our, our first identity. Jesus, first in our family, first on our marriage, first in our finances. Jesus, first with our business, and, and nothing gets straightened out until Jesus is in first position. And that's what he's saying here. In some regards, think of it like this. I think this is why Paul put this issue uh, here, is that uh, Jesus wants to be first and center in, in, in the book of Colossians here, Colossians 1, uh, first and center in your life. And then things can p- uh, progress from there. Uh, anybody have ever gone out like hiking or something like that where you actually needed a compass to direct you? Before you use a compass, you have to set the compass before you actually go and make your life depend on it, right? You have to set your compass for what? True north. Yeah. You can go hiking with whoever said that because they'll get you back. You set your true north. Uh, years ago, I had a, a client, BF Goodrich, they're a big off-road uh, client. And I got to do a lot of awesome off-roading across the country. And we were in uh, Drummond Island, which is the very northern part of Michigan on an island. You can literally see Canada from the other side of the water. And uh, went out with his crew, and it wasn't a point-to-point thing, like a trail thing where you know you can get in and out real easy like I was used to. It was just a mass force. You just drove wherever you wanted to and come back whenever you wanted to. It was awesome. But what we did right before we went out is we set the compass. We set our true north, and then we headed out west. We drove for a couple hours. We thought, well, we better get down, and then we drove straight west again because that, would, that got us out. Once your north is established, you can start to determine where you're at and where you can go. And this is Paul early on in the book of Colossians, establishing for the Christian life, the north for Christians is Jesus. You get that set right, and then everything else flows from that. So that's what we're learning right now. Pastor Jeff will pick it up in chapter 2 next week. Uh, But right here, what we're learning first is Jesus first, Jesus first, Jesus first. And so he tells us that Jesus is ruler over all creation, that everything that was made under the dominion of Jesus. And the third thing that we're going to see here is that uh, Jesus is creator of all. It says, for by him, and he's talking about Jesus, right? By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He takes everything and breaks it up into two categories, right? Visible, invisible, spiritual material, that which we see and touch, that which we do not see or touch. So everything in the physical, uh, visible material is a, in, in the world is a gift from Jesus. And everything that is invisible, supernatural, spiritual, 
immaterial, is also created by Jesus and a gift from Jesus. So Jesus rules over our emotions. Jesus rules over the reality that we do see and the reality behind that. And all of this is important because if something is created, then it belongs to the Creator. If something is created, it belongs to, to Him. It exists for the Creator. It returns to the Creator. It is possession of the Creator, and it will give an account to the Creator. And so when Paul says here that Jesus is the Creator of all, it is in that mindset. We read on, we see the next thing is that Jesus is eternal. He is without beginning or end, and sometimes that, uh, you know, uh, other religions, they might uh, say that uh, Jesus is a good man, but not the God-man, because we can actually see when he started, he, 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 the Bible records his birth. So how could he be a God and eternal when a lot of the world already went by, and we see when he came? That, um, what, what you're seeing there is that the birth of Jesus through the womb of his Mary, is in fact not the starting point of Jesus. Jesus is the external God who entered into human history, but his birth through the womb of Mary was not the beginning of his life. That was his life entering into human history, humbly. He says it this way uh, in, in Colossians 1.17, he is before all things. Whatever exists, whatever exists, Jesus was before it. He is eternal. He was not created. Jesus is creator. Everything that is created is created by him who was before all that he made. Next, we see that Jesus is sustainer. Not only does Jesus uh, make this world, he sustains the world. Uh, there's a theory called deism which states that uh, God made the world but is now absent from it. And now creation runs uh, solely according to natural laws that God put into place, that, but God is not actually, actively involved in the world that he created. And the version of this, there's a version of this that many uh, young adults today hold, and it's called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. I'm getting a little nerdy, sorry, I'll, I'll get back to uh, regular stuff in a moment. Uh, but this theory states that many kids who have grown up in a broken home, um, they compare their relationship with their dad, who is now gone, to the relationship with God, their father. And they're saying that, much like my father who made me, then took off and has nothing to do with my life now, don't even know where he is. And much the same, God created this world. Creation is good, I believe, in Genesis. But after that, he is gone, he's absent from the world, and it's, and it's, and it's operating without him in control. But this is not how the Bible presents the work of Jesus. Jesus Christ not only creates, he sustains all that he creates. And here's how he says it, in him... All things hold together. How does all creation hold together? In Jesus. He is active. He is present. He is intentional. He is powerfully working in the world today. How many of you, when you were kids, if you grew up in the church, sang the song, he's got the whole world in his... Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. I don't do that. You don't want me to sing it. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. No, that's not singing. Alex, you should sing. It's a great song, but you know what? It's even better theology. It is great theology. It speaks to the sustainer of the world, which is Jesus Christ. He does not, or he does have the whole world in his proverbial metaphorical 
hands. And here's what I want you to know. It feels to many like the world is imploding and exploding all around us. We've got wars and, and famine and, and hunger and all sorts of just crud going on. If you watch the news, you can be disheartened quite a bit by what is going on. And you think maybe there is something to the fact that Jesus is not sustainer. He is not in control. And people are freaking out. But know this, just because it's out of our hands doesn't mean it's out of his hands. But his hands can hold the whole world together, what our hands cannot hold together. And I want you to know, if, you're, if your life is falling apart, if you, if you feel like, like you just don't have a grasp on your life, give it to Jesus because he holds it together. If you're struggling in your marriage, give it to Jesus because he holds the world together. If you're fearful of, of your kids and where they're going or, or, or if they're, they're venturing out and they're doing new things or you know, we're in the season now of starting new grades or, or uh, freshmen in college going away to school, it can be dang scary. Give it to Jesus. He holds the whole world together. I love the hymn. One of my favorite hymns is I Surrender All. It's all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And once you know and fully believe that Jesus sustains all, that everything is under his control, that he's got the whole world in his hands, when you fully know that, you can then surrender all your heart's desires and all your heart's aches to Jesus and feel a, a peace that comes only from Jesus. What are you not trusting him with today? What are you holding on to today where you need to say, God, I surrender all to you, knowing that you hold all things together? Moving along, we see that Jesus is the head of the church Jesus loves the church, Jesus died for the church, he's devoted for the church, and he's in a, a covenantal relationship with the church. This does not mean that the church is perfect, it just means that a perfect Jesus will in time perfect his church. One of Paul, Paul's most uh, um, popular metaphors for the church is that uh, we are like a body, right? Each, if you think about that analogy or that me metaphor, each of you are a part of the body, right? Some of you are fingers, some of you are hands, some of you are toes, Maybe you might think somebody's an armpit. I don't know, but we're all a part of the body, and then God is the head, right? If I raise my right hand or I kick out my left foot, uh, that comes from a directive from my brain, from my, my head that says, tell my muscles to do those certain things. And that's the way that the church works, that Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. And a lot of problems happen when this simple church when this simple uh, uh, truth is overlooked. But Pastor Jeff is not the head of this church. The elders are not the head of this church. The staff is not the head of this church. There's not a fraction of a group of people or, or maybe someone who has been here for a long time. They are not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And if you're new here or, or relatively new here, uh, Generation Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we do. Have you heard that before? Right? That is your, mission, your vision statement. And this is only realized if Jesus is the head of this church. 
It is only realized if Jesus is the head of this church. Pastor Jeff will lead, your elders will lead, but Jesus is the head of this church. Next, we see that uh, Jesus is alive, and this is good, right? You don't want a dead Jesus, uh, right? This is good. He's alive. Colossians 1.18 says that he is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's first. He's in first position. He's, he's most significant. He's altogether a senior. What he's talking about is that Jesus died, he rose again, and, and now he lives in heaven with God the Father Almighty. And nobody else does this. Now, we, uh, those of us who are uh, important in life, we, the, the more importance you are, the more your, your uh, memory is uh, held on and, and the bigger your memorial is, right? Abraham Lincoln, very significant dude in our history. Wouldn't you agree? Have you ever heard of him before? Yeah. Uh, this is a memorial that memorializes him and his works. Uh, this is the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. I think he's born in Illinois, and there's also a, uh, or there, he's born, uh, buried in Illinois, and there's a big thing there as well, but this memorializes his life. And so if you're a history buff, you go to this thing to, to remember Abraham Lincoln and his works and his writings. If you're Jewish and, and uh, you, know, you look to Father Abraham, there's a place called uh, the Tomb of the Patriarchs where he is born, and it's located in Hebron in the state of Palestine. There's a picture of it. If you're Muslim and you look to Muhammad, we know where he's buried. He's in uh, Saudi Arabia, and by the way, he's still dead. You can go to see where he's buried. And if you're Buddhist, we know where Buddha is. He's, he's in uh, Pingliang, China, and there's a thing built up, and, and, and people of that uh, faith, they go and visit Buddha often. They pray to the Buddha and, and things like that. Uh, can you go to Jesus' burial and, and worship him and whatever? No, because there's no sign of anywhere that he's buried, because he is alive. He's the only guy who said he was God who was on this earth where you can't find where he's buried. There's something to that. He's alive. Next, we see that Jesus is fully God. And this is huge. This is, this is a really big one. Of all the things that uh, you should know, this is perhaps one of the most important things. In verse 19, it says, For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And the fact that Jesus claimed to be God is a reason that he was killed, right? He, felt, he, he fed homeless people. They didn't kill him for that. Kids loved him. They jumped in his lap like Santa. They didn't kill him for that. Uh, they didn't kill him for any of those things. They killed him because he claimed to be God. That's what got him killed. Not the miracles, not the feeding of people, uh, not any of the goodwill that he did, the reason that he went to the cross is because he claimed to be God and he didn't recant on that. Jesus is the only founder of any major world religion who ever said that he was God. Not Confucius, not Buddha or Muhammad, none of them said that they were God. Jesus said that he was God and they killed him and he came back and he said, I told you so, right? You made a mistake. They should have listened. And this is one of the clearest verses in the New Testament that not only did Jesus say he was God, but his, but his followers did as well. And the final point, we're right on time, we're doing good, uh, but I'm going to take a little while with this one, so uh, strap in. But the final point is that uh, Jesus is reconciler and Savior. Jesus is reconciler and Savior. This is so very important. God created us for relationship with him, and we rejected him, we rebelled against him, and as a result, our relationship with God is severed, and it needs to be reconciled. And so he says uh, this in Colossians 1, verse 20, it says, through him, uh, that's Jesus, to reconcile, 
That's a relational term, right? To give a, a relationship that's back together, that, that's right, that's, that's reconcile. Through him, to reconcile, to himself, all things, whether on heaven or on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's going to talk about the cross of Jesus, that, that we do not have peace with God, and we do not experience the peace of God because we have declared war on God. Pre-Jesus, all of the, 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 the things that we did wrong, all of our sins, was a declaration of war against God. Sin is a declaration of war against God, and that's what it is. And so we have a hostile, unreconciled relationship with God, and there needs to be peace. But the only way there can be peace is if the offense is somehow taken care of. The transgression is dealt. And the way that it's dealt is by death. We see in Romans that the wage of sin is death. That's what needed to be done. That's what needed to be done. The wage for sin is death. And so God sends his son to turn enemy into family. Jesus lives the life that we have not lived, the life without sin. He went to the cross. He substituted himself, the word called propitiation, and died the death that we should have died to pay the price that we cannot pay to give the gift that we cannot earn. That's Jesus. Then he goes on to say this. And this, is, yeah, this, this, this uh, verse uh, kind of wrecks me all the time. And you... This is all of you, not just bad people. If you're thinking when you read this verse, uh, oh, yeah, that's the, the drug lords or the murderers or the child molesters, that kind of stuff. No. It's when, when it says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, it's all of you, right? And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body, the flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Man, there's so many things here. It's so good. But I just love the idea that we are sinful, we are convicted guilty, and there's nothing we can do outside of death to present ourselves to God. And Jesus comes and he does that. He dies for us. And so now, if you accept that, uh, now when God looks down on you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees his son, Jesus. That's a, it's a wild, crazy thought. It's, it's, I, I can't comprehend it. That's why it's called the scandal of grace sometimes. But whatever your thing is, whatever your sin is, whatever stupid stuff you have done, I don't care if you're still hungover from what you did last night, right now you are seen as Jesus when God looks down on you. It says right here, you are presented holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. I've discipled a, a guy one time that he was in and out of rehabs, and, and we talked about this, and he just could not get it through. He's like, there's just no way. You don't know what I have done. And I told him, God does. And he still looks on you as a holy and blameless person and loves you and says, welcome into my kingdom. That is a good God, amen? And it is only done by the work of Jesus Christ. Okay. Will you pray with me? Father God, I, just, I thank you for Jesus.
We saw here just a couple of big truths from this passage, and I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on my behalf, reconciling back to God despite of who I am. Lord, more of Jesus in my life, more of Jesus in our life. Lord, help our lives reflect the gratitude that we have in response to your grace. Father, I just want to uh, take this time especially to, to pray for Generations Church. Uh, Lord, I just uh, I thank you for the faithful uh, leaders. I thank you for your brother, Pastor Jeff, who uh, is coming back tomorrow. God, I just pray that you would bless him, bless his leadership. I pray that you bless this, bless this church. I pray that, Lord, uh, through the, the vision and the hard work of everybody here, that this community is impacted because of the work of this church as you, have, as you, Jesus, are the head of it. Lord, would that all be a reality? Lord, you are good. You are a good, good Father. And Lord, it is with that that we enter now into a time of worship and response, knowing your goodness and your grace and your mercy and love for us. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray all things. Amen.